Welcome to our weekly Wednesday night cheer. This week, Shabbos Pashish Mishpatim. And of course, those looking at the calendar know that tonight is Chov Beis Shvat. A very, very monumental day. Some might take it as a turning point in Chabad. It was most definitely a new shlav, a new stage with which the Rebbe connected with his Chassidim. the day of the passing of the Rebetzin, Sechai Mushka. The Rebetzin was an extremely, extremely private person. Although she was the daughter of the previous Rebbe, the previous Rebbe, the Friedrich Rebbe, the middle daughter, and there were many, many things that her father had delegated to her, but yet, when it came to testify about Chassidim, about Rebbe, she said the Rebbe belongs to the Chassidim. Although it was her husband, it was her life, but the Rebbe belongs to Chassidim, she said. And this ultimately was basically a Makimipatish, the hammer and the last nail in the court case of the Svarim. What's going on here? One of the people that was Rashbach in Shamish Bekedish, they used to spend time in the Rebbe's house, the Rebbe's house, Zemchesed Halbishtam. He told a story once that on Friday the Rebbe's tripped on the stairs and she bruised her foot very badly. The doctor saw it and the doctor said that she needs to stay off her foot. The Rebetzin told Chesed not to tell the Rebbe. She didn't want to burden the Rebbe. The Rebetzin went to bed for a Friday afternoon. Immediately Chesed ran to 770. Chesed is an acronym, by the way, for Hanan Yassinai David. was his real name. And he knocked on the Rebbe's door and he came to the Rebbe and he told the Rebbe what happened. And also told the Rebbe that the Rebetzin didn't want him to tell. The Rebbe smiled, thanked him. When the Rebbe came home, the Rebetzin was at the table. She couldn't stand up. Her foot was hurting. Usually she stood up when the Rebbe walked in. She apologized, she didn't get up. She was hungry, she said. And therefore, Chesed already made Kiddush for her. So the Rebbe played along. The Rebbe knew exactly what was going on. Then the Rebbe told the Rebbe that she already washed. And she made a Maitzi already. She had a piece of challah already. So that she shouldn't have to be getting up again. Again, the Rebbe said nothing. And then Chesed already served the fish course. Tradition was that Rebetzin would serve the Rebbe the soup always. She couldn't get up to serve. Before anyone could say anything or do anything, the Rebbe closed his eyes 
They started to sing Azama Bishwakim. This is Midas for Friday night. The Rebbe was singing with a different nigga, with a very, very intense nigga, and had his eyes closed. It was a very deep dvekus, deep meditation. At that point, the Rebbe took advantage to tell Chesed quickly the Rebbe doesn't notice to serve the soup and the chicken, the dessert, compote, whatever. When the Rebbe, when all the food was on the table, the Rebbe all of a sudden managed to finish the nigging quickly and they both ate together. Another story is a lady, Mrs. Edith Block, who runs the Friday night Enoch Shabbos. She once told this story that she, Tzalang Yarin, and her husband, Olav Shalom, were in Florida at a hotel room on vacation. And the Siddish woman was sitting at her table. And the woman said to her, you look like a Lubavitcher. It's right after the Rebetzin had passed away. She said, yes I am. She said, I'm sorry about the Rebetzin. I just want to tell you a story. He said, we are Bavva Chassidim. I'm Holocaust survivors. We were young. A group of us just couldn't have any children. But we were survivors of large families. We went to the Bavva Rebbe for brachas, but it didn't help. One of the young women decided to go to the Bavva Rebbe for bracha. She heard he was a holy man and did miracles. So ten of us decided to join her. We knew that Rebbe lived on President Street, which at the time was next to the Bava Rebbe. We came to 1304 President Street and we got cold feet. We couldn't decide who should knock on the Rebbe's door. And we were standing outside the Rebbe's house talking about it and the car pulled out of the driveway. There was a woman driving. She walked out of the car and she asked us, what could she do? We stumbled over the words. We didn't know what to say exactly. We told her our predicament. She took out a pad and a pen out of her purse and asked us our names. Then she gave us the name of a fertility doctor in Manhattan and said we should call him in a few days. This chassidish woman continued and said, I don't know what happened to all the other women. We all went our own ways. But I'll tell you what happened to me. I called the doctor's office and the person at the other end told me she can make me an appointment, an appointment with a very, very this very, very busy doctor in a year. I started to cry, and the person at the other end asked me to repeat my name. Then she told me wait. A few minutes later, she came back to the phone and told me they actually have an appointment for me already reserved the following week. And through that doctor, she continued, Hashem blessed me with a daughter. And that daughter has given me ten grandchildren. Later, as I found out, who made the appointments for me, for all of us? The Rebetzin. Rebetzin Chaim Mushka. Another story, a few years ago, an Orthodox Jewish man came to Paris and needed a kosher food. He had no idea where to begin looking for a kosher restaurant or a store. He was sitting on a metro bench in the Paris subway. See if somebody looked Jewish enough to ask them. Suddenly he saw a yid with a hat, a suit, walk by very quickly. 
The man ran after him and he called him, Rabid, Rabid, where's that kosher place to eat? I'm starving. The Rebbe stopped and told him, come, I'll show you. The Eid followed the Rebbe back into the subway, they traveled a few stops, got out, walked into a building, the Rebbe opened the door, announced to his wife in Yiddish, Mirhob Nagast, we have a guest. The Rebbe and the man walked into the tiny, immaculate dining room, sat down. There were settings on the table, three settings, real cutlery, china, glassware, napkin, cloth napkins. He said that the cleanliness in this Paris apartment was regal. The wife brought out fruit for an appetizer, fish, some vegetables, fruit as a dessert. He was a little surprised there was no Amatia or Mazenus. He didn't say anything. After benching, the Rebbe apologized for not serving bread or cake. The Rebbe told him that he went to check out the bakeries and was not satisfied with the flour used in the baking. So his wife didn't buy any flour at all, even to bake herself. The Eid thanked him. They literally saved his life. He was dying of hunger. Many years later, the Eid was living in New York and by chance he saw a picture of the Rebbe in the paper. He was so upset. He realized the couple who served him was Lubavitcher Rebbe and his wife. He was devastated. So he traveled to 770 to ask Mechila from the Rebbe, to ask forgiveness. And he started crying. And the Rebbe recognized him and said to him, Thank you for giving me the opportunity of Achnasa Serchim. For giving me the opportunity of serving a guest. One other story of the Rebetzin, which is a more famous story. The Rebetzin would go from time to time. She was a librarian. She was very, very educated. Very, very well read. She actually wrote weekly in the Talks and Tales which is a weekly publication for basically for children, but I think the parents enjoyed it more than the children did. She'd write in Nature's Wonderland. A little article. Always something fascinating. I can tell you as a child how fascinating we found it. And you can get today the entire set of Talks and Tales. One, two, three. About 20 volumes. And each volume has probably 40, 30 or 40 weeks of talks and tales in them. They can keep you quite busy for quite a while. She was going for a ride once in the countryside, the island, whatever it was. I've told this story before. And she saw a very interest, intriguing sight. There's a family standing outside a house a truck, a moving truck in front of the house and a marshal was standing there the Davidson asked the driver that she was driving her to pull over and ask, find out what's going on the driver went over And asked the people what's happening. They were a little caught off guard that suddenly this uh, Orthodox religious Jew is stopping in the middle of there, just coming to ask them these questions. And they told him the mortgage hadn't been paid for a while, or the rent, or whatever it is, and they were being evicted from the house. So the driver returned to the Rebetzin and told the Rebetzin what's going on. This entire family being evicted from their home. So she sent them back and said, find out how much you're talking about. He went back and they told him the amount that was outstanding. And immediately the Rebetzin wrote a check for the full amount. 
and paid their bills so that they can move back into their house and just drove off into the wild blue yonder without any recognition of them noting, noting, knowing or noticing or even having a moment to thank the Rebetzin for what she had done for them. Aim Habanim Yisrael. Of the probably more prominent stories was a family from England that come to the Rebetzin's house to visit. And they lived the Rebbe the Rebbe lived on Union on President Street. It was a regular, beautiful house. One of the little children turned to the Rebbeson, not know, not be known to her, that the Rebbeson was not blessed with actual children, unbeknownst to her. Innocently, the child said to the Rebbeson, "Vuzen in the kinder. Where are the children?" And the Rebetzin answered, the kinders are in 770. The children are all in 770. Meaning all the Hasidim, all the Hasidim, she considered her children. The Rebetzin was on standing <laughs> in 770 by her sister's apartment. And Bakram were walking by outside, and they were a little bit remiss on taking haircuts. Their hair was a little overgrown. Now the Rebbe didn't take a haircut very often, simply because there was no time. The Rebbe's teacher, the Ragachava, used to have, the Ragachava gone, used to have in the middle of his head a long, long strands of hair. A lock of hair. And this is under his yarmulke. Because he never removed his yarmulke and he never had time to stop learning. So he would, the barber would just cut around. So there were times the Rebbe used to have very, very long hair. There were those people that can give you the mimush people as they were called. Were able to tell you when, how often the Rebbe took haircuts. And they would take haircuts when the Rebbe took a haircut. So the Rebbe asked the Bacha that was with her, Wasn't it a day for waxen? Why the hair so long? And the guy answered, The Rebbe didn't take a haircut. Yeah, they didn't take a haircut. So the Rebbe answered, How they would smile with Avis Yisrael like my husband smiles at another Yid. Never mind, imitate his haircut traditions. Halavai, they would smile at another Yid with Avas Yisrael, with the love of a fellow Jew, like my husband has. The Rebbe, during the Shiva, many, many stories of many people that came to visit. But Tavshim Memchas, the year that the Rebbe passed away, the Rebbe did not leave the house barring Shabbos where he came to shoot 770 only on Shabbos otherwise all the tefillahs the Rebbe Davin for the Yomans at Kaddish of course for the Rebbe and the Rebbe Davin in his house and all talks and sikhs and everything were from the house it was an extremely trying time for Chassidim not to see the Rebbe on a daily basis Although it wasn't as if we saw the Rebbe every day. The Rebbe would come only Monday and Thursday to Kriya Satera usually. Thereafter the Rebbe began to, began to daven downstairs on a daily basis with the Minyan. Many other things that took place thereafter Tavshin Memches. Entered into what's called a new Shlav. A new life for Chassidim. Let us go back now to the Pasha, this week's portion, Pasha's Mishpatim. Ve'ila Mishpat, oh, Fresca. That's a good idea. They didn't bring anything here this week. 
You haven't had fresca for a long time over there by you, huh? Okay. I guess that's a good enough reason for me to come to Atlanta. Just to, Never mind the snow that we have over here. I'll bring you some. I know you like some of the snow. Today we had the merit of Baruch Hashem, the haircutting of our grandson Yisrael Tzvi, Halevi Betesh. He had his upsharenish today. Like to wish Malatov to his parents, Maisha Halevi and my daughter Esther Bracha. She have a lot of nachas and Yichusyam Vishanim. Yiddish Chasidish nachas from him, from his sister Sarifkala. And from all the other children to come. Amen. Another milestone in life. But as you speak of milestones, the Bible starts off. The Pasha starts Ve'ila Mishpotim. And we know Ve'ila, the word Ve'ila is Mesif Alarishenim. It adds, Ela means it disconnects from what we said till now, and Ve'ela means a continuation from what was read till now. What is the continuation? Ve'ela mishpotim, Rashi tells us, Ma'arishenim misinai, Av'elu misinai. Just like till now everything we said was on Sinai, so to hear everything in this parasha was also said on Har Sinai. Holy moments. We're continuing talking on our Sinai, and what are we talking about? Money. Monetary issues. A slave being sold. A, a property damages. The Zayar tells us. For those that are studying Kabbalah now, monetary laws contain one of the deepest mystical secrets of all. The mystery of Gilgulim, of reincarnation. There's a story told of a simple Jew, a Jew that came to visit the Baal Shem Tov. 10.30. Came to visit the Baal Shem Tov to see who the Baal Shem Tov was. He was a wealthy fellow. And there was so much talk about the greatness of the Baal Shem Tov about the holiness of the Baal Shem Tov. He wanted to see for himself who is this Baal Shem Tov. And he came with his glamorous wagon to Mezhebuz. And as he arrived in Mezhebuz, he asked for an appointment to meet with the Baal Shem Akadosh. And they allowed him in. They got him an appointment. No. He comes into the Bashemtov in the Rebbe's private room. And he sits down across the Bashemtov, across the desk. And he's analyzing, he's looking at the Bashemtov. He wants to see if I can, he can see or feel if it's tangible, the holiness that they talk about. And lo and behold, he was very disappointed. He saw nothing. And he sat for a few minutes, and then finally, much to his chagrin and disappointment, he decided, there's nothing here for me. It was a waste of time that I came here. He was going to leave. As he stood up to leave, the Mashanta said, woman, I want to tell you a story. Fellow looked at the Baal Listen, I got, I got a trip. I have a journey home. Still, he's checking his watch. 
The Bashan says, I'll make it quick, I'll make it quick. Please let me tell you this story. Sit down. And the Bashemtiv starts to tell a story. Many years ago in Poland, there lived two Jews that were very friendly, good friends. And they opened a business together. They ventured into business together. And God blessed their business. It was extremely successful. And they became very wealthy. And they decided you don't put all your eggs in one basket. They're going to invest somewhere else in Europe. They heard the other opportunities in France. And so they traveled together to France to set up shop. They set up business in France. And when it was established, one decided, okay, I'm staying here to run it. And the other one's going back to Poland. And Kachava. They went back their ways. However, a few years later, our Polish partner, and every week they would write to each other twice a week. They were very extremely close. They were doing business together. They were always in contact. But eventually they became busy. They became once a week, once a month, and then finally they only sent each other letters to say happy holiday. No. Vashem continues. They man the partner in Poland fell on hard ti- hard times. Situation was very bad. Business went from bad to worse, and he was destitute. He not only was destitute, not only the business was totally down the drain, down the tubes, but he was, but he was in debt. So he collected a few piastres, some money. He traveled to France, and as he came to France, he told his friend his plight, his dilemma. And he came to borrow money to get himself back on his feet. And his friend said to him, what are you, crazy? Lend you money? Immediately he called in his accountant, made a reckoning of the business, how much the business was worth. It was worth two million dollars. He split it in half, liquidated half, gave him a million dollars, this is your half. You don't have to borrow money. It's yours. Simcha Gedela, the man hugged each other. They parted again with their ways. And the man returned to Poland, invested his money again, reinvested it, his newfound money. And Baruch Hashem became very successful again. Several years later, however, the wheel turned in France. And our friend in France lost everything. And he had nowhere to turn any longer. He decided maybe, maybe, perhaps, Ulay Rachem, he'll travel to Poland. It's not easy for him. He's older now. It's winter time. It's cold. Maybe, maybe it's a chance if I go to Poland, maybe my friend can help me. He didn't even think that I helped him, so he'll help me. He just thought, maybe it'll help me. And so as he came to the outer gates of his friend's house, his friend saw him. And he said, oh no, if I have to give him money, I'm going to have to take the money that I have waiting for an investment, that I'm about to make a major merger. It'll ruin my entire work that I've been working on for five years. And he paced back and forth. Finally he told the servant, go to the gate. Tell the man I'm not home. I'll be back in a few weeks. 
The servant went to the gate, told the poor man the story, devastated, with nowhere to go and nowhere to turn. The man sat down outside the gate of the house, curled himself up to go to sleep. It was a freezing night. He had nowhere else to sleep. He leaned against the wall somewhere outside the house and died. His neshama came above Lamaila to Bezna Shamaila, and the neshama was done. Then he goes straight to Gan Eden. Said, You helped out this man, you so selflessly split your assets and everything you gave him and saved his life. You go straight to Ganadin. He said, But what about my friend? Ah, I'm afraid he's in bad shape. What does that mean? So when he comes up here, he's not, he's not going to know heaven. I mean, after all, he killed you. He said, no, I don't, I'm not going. I'm not going into Ganadin unless my friend is forgiven. So Bez and Shalmaila convened, and they decided that both Nishamas go back to earth. And this other man will become very wealthy, and this guy from France will be born very poor. And if the rich man helps out the poor man, he will rectify the sin, and he will be able to get Canadian. But if he doesn't, he's in trouble. Well, needless to say, the Nishamas came back down, this man was very, very wealthy, and the other man was a Shnara. Every day this poor man would come to the rich man's gates, and every day he was turned away. One day, the poor man came to the rich man's, rich man's gate, and he knocked, and he knocked incessantly, or too hard, or whatever it was. The rich man got very upset, perturbed, disturbed, Thank you. And he opened the door and he struck the man with his cane and he killed him. No. He killed him. He said, now what? He said, uh, People are going to find that I killed this guy. It's going to be a pretty bad scene. I can't go to jail for this. What do I do? So the rich man quickly grabbed the body and he dragged it to the side of his house and he made a, dug a hole and he buried the old man, buried the poor man. At which point the Bashemtiv turned to the man and said, Thanks so much for listening. You can go now. And the rich man burst out crying. I said, What are you talking about? I can't believe what you just told me. I can't believe what you just said. the rich man I killed this poor man I buried him in my yard now you tell me there's no hope for me anymore now you're telling me my life is over my my world this world and the world to come I have no world to come even what do I do how do I do this the Bashem told him no what I want to tell you is the reason I'm telling you this story is because there is a way for you to repent. You need to give away all your money to charity. And for the rest of your life, you need to wander in exile. And thereby, you will be forgiven. So we see, therefore, the exact, what the Zayah is explaining, 
how the monetary laws are directly tied with the Gilgulim. I had last week very interesting experience after the shear, or before the shear last week. Before the shear, a person called me up and told me that they met a cousin of mine. And um, the person with my cousin, same room, whatever, there was $40 on the floor. And the person said, well, whose is this? It was not a Jewish place. My cousin said, it's not, I don't think it's mine. And she said, I don't think it's mine. So what should we do with it? So the person said, you know what, to my cousin, she says, you take the money. My cousin said, <laughs> I'm not coming back down to this world for 40 bucks. If it's not mine, I'm not coming back 40 to, to, to pay back the $40 and the guy I took it to, no, that's not happening. So we see Mamain. Din and has to do directly with Nishamas. Speaking of Nishamas, <laughs> told the story already too many times today, but I found it very funny. The two old ladies were talking. And one asked the other, Tell me, Selma, what would you rather have, Parkinson's or Alzheimer's? So she thinks a minute, and she says, I'd rather have Parkinson's. She says, why would you want Parkinson's? She says, I'd rather spill a half a glass of wine than not know where I put the bottle. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta know where your neshama is also sometimes. Ve'ila mishpatim, we said, Ve'ila mesif ala rishenim. What is the first mitzvah of mishpatim? Evedivri. Kisikne evedivri, you buy a Jewish servant. What does that have to do with Martin Taylor? So, you would think there's so many mitzvahs that are said as a difference. We're talking about a servant, the Jewish servant. By Martin Taylor, B'nai Yisrael were adopted as Avodim Lakadish Baruch Hu. By becoming God's slaves, we were now freed totally from any other slavery and servitude. So although they left Egypt weeks and weeks before, they still had the slave mentality. This mentality was helped, was rectified, was taken away when God said, you are my slaves. So when the slave, the Jewish slave says, Oh, I love my master and I don't want to go away from him. He does not go out free. But he needs to have his ear pierced. That ear, says the Almighty, that heard my voice on Sinai. When I said, Kili Yisrael Avodim, to me the Jews are servants. Vele Avodim La Avodim and are servants to others. Vehalach Zen, this one went and purchased himself on different master. Yiratse, he should have a hole in his ear. As the Gemara, those keeping score at home, in tractate Kiddushin, Chavbez. Ahmed Bey's sites 22, site 2. And therefore, the first din after Matan Tata is the din of Evadivri to teach us that a true servant of the Abishta, Evadivri Ayidishiknecht, has to only pleasure and involve himself. In things that are tied to godliness. 
And it's prohibited for a person to say a hafti as adaini as ishti as bonai when he married the woman that, he had, that his master had given him and the children that he was blessed with. He should not be involved with the physical worldly pleasures, but rather all his strength, all his devotions and dedications are to be only to God. I'm going to jump around a little bit today, the end of today's Chitas. Kisira Chamer Senecho. Revetz Tachas Masoi Vechadaltei Maaziv Loi. Ozoiv Tazoiv Imoi. When you see the donkey of your enemy burdened under a pile and you refrain from helping the Torah gives us a direct commandment to go help Imoi with him Rashi tells us sometimes sometimes you don't leave go sometimes you help okay said how does it go an elderly person, a sage, and it's not his, it's not becoming of him, he leaves it go. A behemoth nachri of a guy, and a burden of a Jew. The Bashemtav explains this pasuk. It's brought down the Hayyim of Chav Cheshvat. Kisire Chamer Senecha. What does it refer to? The donkey? The word Chamer is Chamer Aguf. The body, the physical essence of your body, which hates the soul. Because the soul is only yearning to involve itself in godliness and spirituality. And you see that what is this goof under? Revitz Tachas Masoi. It's burdened. It's lazy. It doesn't want to involve itself with godliness. It doesn't want to be elevated and purified through Tehra Mitzvahs. It's possible that you could think not to help him. Not to help the body, this physical body, to complete its shlichus on this world, its, its mission. But rather to begin to help to to break it. This is not the way. To let him rest from the word of Tata. But rather It is your job and obligation, says the Tata, the Bashemtav explains, to be mevar the goof. To clean it up, not to break it and punish it. A person needs to see to it that a person needs to take his own body and make the best of everything so that it's involved with spirituality, not just destroy himself. That's the Bashemta's explanation. The Alter Rebbe writes in Shukhanarach. In Cheshen Mishpat Hilchas Niske Guf V'Nefesh 
In Siv Dalid, there are two ways that a person can fast, that a person is allowed to fast and to break his body. One is a fast of tshuva, and one is in order to purify, to elevate, to connect to God. These two messages, these two methods are hinted in this very pasuk. Atachedel where it says Atachedel one is according to what Rashi said Zokin, why, how could you believe go? Either because Zokin because it's an elderly person or Behemus Nachri Yisrael or an animal of an animal of a goy and the burden of a Jew. The first one, zokein ve'enei This goes on the person that fasts in order to purify his body to elevate it to God. It's not because of sins. But Zakin, what is Zakin elderly? He amassed much knowledge. Again, we refer to the Gemara in Kiddushin, Lamed Beis, Lamed Beis, 32, side 2. It's not sin, it has nothing to do with sins. He's a great person and this is just a way to elevate to purify his body and therefore and therefore it was permissible for him to fast because only through fasting he breaks the physicalities of his body Behemus Nachrim Asayisha Yisrael, the other option. This is talking about the the tightness of tshuva, the fast that one fasts for repentance, that comes because of sins, etc. When a person sins, and he goes against the will of God, the chamer, that physicality of his body, this is the behemte shalnachri. This is like an animal of a person of a non-Jew, and it goes over from rishus haklipachas v'shol, and even peshi yisrael amaleim mitzvus kedimin. Even the worst and the lowest of Jews are like the full with mitzvus. Like the pomegranate, referring to again two places in Shas, in Eidavin, Yutesamet Aleph, 19 side 1, and at the end of the Gemara Chagiga discusses how every Jew is full of mitzvahs kirimen. And therefore, the body, which is the behemoth of the Nachri, it has a Masa Shayisrol. It has a load of mitzvahs, which even though the person is a Peshaya, and the person is not a God-fearing person, still the person says the Gemara is full of mitzvahs. There was a couple in Etzisel, many years ago, through Chabad. They returned, they repented. And they had gone to visit South Africa. I guess I reckon they had family there. 
When they came to South Africa, they heard a horrific story. The Sheikhit, at the time, Chabad was not yet in South Africa, mind you. So this is quite a while ago. The Sheikhit, the ritual slaughterer of the town, had one daughter. Because at the time there was only elementary schools for the children, Jewish elementary, child was a bright child, she went through the elementary system, and it was time to move on. And she went on to study, and she wanted to study sociality, sociology. And as she got her master's, she was going, she going for a PhD. The thesis she chose to write was about peace between the Arabs and the Jews. And this is all preceding Antifada and all these other things. She traveled to Israel. She promised her parents she remained faithful, Jewish, and everything. And her first stop was in a little town outside of Haifa, an Arab town. And she hired a translator. And she did interviews during the day. And her writing at night. And faithfully wrote to her parents every week how she's keeping kosher, she's keeping Shabbos, she's keeping whatever she has to do. By Yemi, she met this fellow, George, or whatever his name was, who happened to be an Arab, but had studied in university, an American university, or English, I don't remember where he was, spoke a prominent English was also studying sociology. And their friendship hit off. They became good friends. They became too good of a friend. And she started to hear from him different views that were not necessarily those that she was taught at home. And she started to wonder if the kosher if the Shabbos, if the Yom Tif, if, 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 where can I stray a little bit? And he was very kind and loving and compassionate, and she started to write to her parents, and they saw in the tone of the letters that things were not going well, Yiddishkeit, Judaism-wise. And as much as they tried to convince her, she did not want to hear from it, she decided this fellow was her soulmate, and unfortunately she married him. The mother could not take the news, she could not take that her only daughter had done this, married an Arab, no more no less. She fell ill, had a stroke, and she died, son. The husband, now losing his wife and his daughter, fell into an extreme, extreme depression. This couple, that was Makurov to Chabad in Israel, had arrived in South Africa and heard this story. And they went to visit the Sheikhet. And they talked and he, he wouldn't want to talk, he didn't want to talk, finally he broke down and he told the story, sobbing with tears. And... He told this terrible story. <sighs> and what should I say? Nebuch. <sighs> what should they do? What can they possibly do now? No. The man didn't know what to tell him. They said, why don't you write to the Rebbe? 
So what Rebbe? At that time there was no Chabad, as we said. <clears throat> there was no Chabad yet in South Africa. So, she convinced them to write to the Rebbe. And a few weeks later, they got an answer from the Rebbe. Wait till they have a fight. And then she'll return. So they all thought nobody really knew about the Rebbe. Nobody understood. Nobody understood what the Rebbe was talking about. It sounded so random. Okay. Thank you. No, thank you. Goodbye. Au revoir. Arrivederci. Meantime, this Israeli woman took the phone number for the daughter. Said, Mervais, let me give her a call. Father said, fine, what do I have to lose? And they came back to Israel, and the first thing she did was call the daughter, and lo and behold, the daughter answered the phone. The daughter answers the phone and she was very strange, awkward. She didn't hang up on her, but she was answering in monosyllables. Yes, no, maybe. And then this woman said, please do me a favor, write down my phone number. You ever want, my house is open to you. Lo and behold, days, months went by, not hearing from this woman. They forgot about Abraham. A year later, the phone rings. It's this girl. She's crying. She sounds petrified. She's in a parking lot in Haifa with her two children and she's pregnant with a third she escaped from this guy and she started crying and complaining and saying how the guy used to beat her and she has to get away well the woman said you know what stay where you are and she called the rabbi that she was recruited through the Chabad rabbi And and he said, let her come to me right now with a cab. I'll pay the cab. And she got in a taxi and they came to the rabbi's house. The rabbi paid. And they, she, he heard out her whole story. And he said, listen, if you're going to run away now, he's going to come looking for you. It's not going to be a good story. Go back there. Wait till you give birth. After you deliver, tell her, listen, tell him, I want to go away for vacation a little bit with the children. Do you mind? And then we'll deal from there. And lo and behold, it's exactly what happened. A few months later, she had the baby. And she told him she wants to go on vacation. And he sent her. And they derived a plan. They snuck her out. They stole her out of the country. They sent her with the children to South Africa back to the father and she did tshuva and she was able to do whatever she had to do to get away from him. In this we see how a person there's no limit there's no time restraint how long and how much a person needs to do to help a fellow Jew. And we don't know where our calling is, when our calling is about, what mitzvah it is that will be the one to break the camel's back to help a fellow Jew with that smile, as the Rebetzin said, that smile of Avis Yisrael that my husband has for a fellow Jew is something that we all need to work on. And Chav Be'i Shvatz, and we should be zeicha, we should merit to the prophecy of a kitzu v'ranu sheikh neyafar. They will sing and dance. We will all go this very evening.
with the Rebbe Nesidereinu Bereishenu to Yerushalayim Erakedesh and we will merit to the Geula Amitnes Vashlema Shabbat Shalom to all.